0: And if you know, you've been listening to the, the uh, uh, section on teachings that I'm doing at First Baptist over the last five weeks. I've been devoting the last five weeks to the study of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and you can get that if you go on the Foundation website or on the app. You can get it and you can listen to that. Uh, and I think you might find that interesting. It's amazing how many Christians know so little about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so when you hear me say that I ask God, that these words be anointed by the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand something. And I'm asking God, not that it comes out of my head, but that as he uses me to study and research and write, that even in the act of doing it, it's the Holy Spirit that's moving me and guiding me. And honestly, that from time to time, my wife will be listening to, the, to these broadcasts, and I'll sit down with her, and often, and you may not believe this, often I will hear things that I no, never remembered actually saying. I never remember actually saying. Uh, And she'll say, I've never heard that before. Uh, And I said, you know, I'm hearing it now and it's almost like God is preaching to me. And that's what the Holy Spirit is about. Honestly, that's what the Holy Spirit is about. Uh, And so he is alive, uh, every bit as alive as Jesus is, as God the Father is. He is an entity, not not a wave or a metaphysical presence. He is an actual entity. He's in this room right now, I, I fully believe that. He's sitting next to you. He's with you. And we we were asking him in every way to guide us, to lead us, to direct us, to inspire us, to make the words that you're going to hear today touch your heart. Touch your heart. Because only he knows what you need to hear today. I don't know your personal situation. In many ways, I'm glad I don't. Because if I did know some of the personal traumas that you're going through, I might try to steer away from it. You know, my dad would say that all the time. People would come up to him after he preached on Sunday and said, who told you? Who told you that, I, that? And my father would go, nobody told me anything. I didn't know this. I didn't know this. But you see, when you're, when you're inspired by the Holy Spirit and you're free in the Spirit, the Spirit directs what the people need to hear. I don't know what you need to hear, but he does. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're, we're going to finish up 1 Samuel chapter 23. Um, and uh, by the way, some people have said they haven't gotten the, the lesson and here's the deal. If you have given me your, your email address, I want to assure you that I sent it out to you. If you're not getting it, please check to see if it's being spammed. There's about six or seven of you that I get a report back that it's being spammed. So check your spam folders uh, and, and do what you have to do to make sure that the lesson gets through. If, in fact, that's not the case, you're not being spammed and you're still not getting it, that means that in some way I couldn't read your handwriting. (laughs) And I'm sending it out somewhere in space, okay? (laughs) Which means you probably need to give it to me again in a clearer printed format so that I can read it, all right? 1 Samuel 23, I want to, just so we set this up, we know that David was in the cave at Adullam, Uh, He was in a low way, you know, everything was collapsing in on him. His spirits were low, and we saw that God raised him up and directed him to go and save the town of Keilah. Uh, And we spoke about the fact that when God does that, God recognizes that one of the ways that God lifts you up out of your own morass is to focus on other people. In other words, let me see, God, Well, who needs to be helped in this world? Let me take my eyes off my own situation and see somebody else. And that's what God does. He did it with David. And so he, he, he told David twice he needed to go to Calah, Ke- even though the men who were with him didn't want to go, said this is dangerous, we're going to go right back into the fortified town, we could be trapped, we don't want to go and do this. Uh, and God didn't care, God directed him, he went, and he saved the town from a Philistine invasion. Uh, But then we know that shortly thereafter, he learned that Saul was continuing to come after him, uh, and David inquired of God, would the people of Calah stand up for me and protect me, or would they turn me over to Saul? And the sad truth was that they would turn him over to Saul. So even though he had helped the people, the very people that he had helped turned against him. Another slap in the face. Uh, and almost like the provision in the world where you hear no good deed goes unpunished. Obviously, we don't believe that as Christians, but you see this example here. <laughs> so extending yourself for somebody and then not having them res- ex- you know, expect the, the return of the favor. How sad. That's the world, folks. That's the world. And so David flees, uh, flees Keilah. Now he's out in the wilderness of Ziph, uh, and in the wilderness of Ziph, it will become a refining process God is going to continue to sand David down, uh, to, to prepare him to become king. By the way, do you see how, how much God does to prepare you for the ministries that he has in your lives? I know some of you are saying to me, I want God to use me, but I've been asking him for the last uh, year or two or three years, and I yet have not seen that in my life. One of the reasons is God is preparing you he's preparing you because he is determined that he wants you to serve in a specific role and you may not yet be ready for that role I told you that, that for me you know it wasn't until I was in my early 50s that that God called me to do this why because he knew I would wreck it if he called me before that right he knew I would wreck it what do I mean by I would wreck it, it would be self it would be ego it would be lifting up uh, up myself instead of lifting him up And God wants to say that when you are fully ready to give everything to him, to put nothing on your shoulders, put everything on his shoulders, then God lifts you up and uses you. Amen? Amen. That's an important lesson in in serving God. And so you see that here. So now he flees Keilah. He's out in the desert of Ziph. And Jonathan comes and sees him and comes to encourage him. And I started to speak on this last week. I want to finish this issue of the role of the encourager in the Christian work. This is a big deal. Many of you, many of you have been called to be encouragers. I would like to say all of you. uh, But this is an important role. God expects all of us to be spiritual encouragers in the role of Jonathan. And if you look at chapter 23, you look at verse 15. You see as follows, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Underline that. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horash. What a great man this Jonathan is. Here he is, turning effectively over his role to succeed the king to David, recognizing that David is anointed and appointed by God and indicating that he would serve as second behind David. But he comes out in the desert at the low moments and lifts David up and tells him that even my father knows this. You're going to be appointed by God. This is an important aspect of our walk with Jesus Christ. Uh, and instead, some of us take on the role of Job's friends. <laughs> Am I right? The role of Job's friends. You're a loser. You're a loser. You deserve what you have. How dare you? How dare you think that you're a holy man? He to put him down, put him down. I knew somebody, a godly man, unfortunately he had a bad temper, that whenever he and his wife would get into a bad argument, he would turn to his wife and in a peak of response would say, ah, Job's wife. <laughs> and you remember from your scripture, Job's wife says to Job when everything is just collapsing down around him, ah, curse God and die. Yeah, that's the kind of friend you want. <laughs> That's good. That's just what God calls us to be. Curse God and die. But God, you see, you see the difference here in this man saying God is with you. God is going to restore you. You're going to be king. I'm going to be second behind you. And so there's some points here that I want to um, indicate to you that are important. And Jonathan assures David that in spite of his father's efforts to find him, he will not succeed. He's telling him. I know, I'm with him, I know, I see what God is doing. My father will not succeed. What an assurance he gives him. Jonathan's assurance regarding David's safety seems based upon his confidence in God's designation of David as the next king. That's the point of it. You see, Jonathan recognized that David was anointed by God, that God had his hand on this whole operation. It didn't matter what his father thought or where his father, father did, God was not going to allow Saul to have victory over David. And Jonathan told him, because he had a front row seat. And Jonathan seeks to encourage David by assuring him of his own personal submission and loyalty to him as a future king. This is important. You need to let people know that you are backing them up, that you're praying for them, that you recognize that they have a call, that you're there to help them and support them. Uh, and then finally, Jonathan's loyalty is not a secret. This is big also. He didn't do it in secret. He wasn't afraid of his father, having his father know that he, had st- uh, had, that he was standing up for David. He didn't care. He did it because he knew it was right under the will of God. And so the, this, these are important lessons as we understand exactly how God wants us to lead a godly life uh, as encouragers. I, there's a... I told you last week that one of the great encouragers in the New Testament uh, is uh, 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 Saul and, uh, I forgot his name. Barnabas, Barnabas, thank you, senior moment. Barnabas, Barnabas, one of the great encouragers in the Bible. Uh, Because here's Barnabas, a guy who was well known, had high degree of credibility in the church. And now Saul comes to Jerusalem. And and when he comes to Jerusalem, nobody wants anything to do with him. Oh, guess what? Surprised? This is the guy that put us in jail. This is the guy who was involved in murdering Stephen. No, we don't want to be with him. We don't trust him. And it was Barnabas that stood up for Saul and and encouraged the church to accept him, which they did. Um, and, And so that's great. Well, one of the other great encouragers... Uh, in the the Bible is Paul. I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're spending a time now on the role of encourager. The role of encourager in God's church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse, chapter 5, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. How about that? The next verse is pretty good also. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always tries to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Make sure Make sure that people don't exact revenge. And we're gonna talk as we get into chapter 24 about David as the paradigm for not enacting revenge because we as Christians do not enact revenge. But you look at that verse and you see it, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. All of that falls within the ambit of encouragement. Encouragement, and that's your role. And I hope you leave here today being committed to that role, saying that if you see people Uh, that you know are a little down uh, and you know that they're suffering, that you go up to them and you say, I'm praying for you. I want you to know God loves you, that you're within the plan of God Uh, instead of being a judge, right? A judge. Seems like that comes so naturally to us, doesn't it? The ability to judge, the ability to pronounce judgment. You're going to hell. God just laid that on my heart. And I love you, brother. (laughs) And for some reason, I don't know why, nobody ever comes to Christ in my testimony. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is that, that happens, but that's exactly how some of us have lived our lives. We have pronounced a variety of judgments on our kids, on our extended families, on people we work with, and we do it because we're not being mean-spirited in many sense, in, in some sense of that, although some of us are mean-spirited, but we just have this natural inclination to lay out judgments. God didn't call you to be a judge. You got that? God did not call us to be the judge. He's the judge. God called us to be the amanuensis of grace, to let them know about Jesus. To let them know that there's hope, that there's a way, and to pray for people. That's what God's called you to do. Uh, And and so you see this here in this role of encouragement. Uh, You know, you don't see Jonathan saying to David, boy, you must have done something really bad to God. Oh, man, look at what he's putting you through. Gosh knows, there's there's some reason that these calamities are falling on you. You don't know that. How dare you say that? Fall on your knees and ask God to forgive you if you've even thought those kind of words. We have no idea why God is doing certain things in people's lives, all right? Really, it's like I told you also last week, when you walk into a, a, a hospital room and somebody is dying, don't be so quick to throw Romans eight twenty-eight out, all right? Be careful, you understand? Be, be judicious and kindly. He's called you to be an encourager. Yes, Romans eight twenty-eight is the verse, and all things do work together for good. But maybe that's not the time when somebody is dying to tell them Romans 8, 28. Maybe it's more important to tell them that God loves them and cares for them, and that they're in his hand. And so you see this. I want you also to turn to Isaiah 35. We're gonna tie the entire New Testament together here. New Testament and Old. One Bible, this is why I do this. Isaiah 35. Verse 4. Actually, we'll start with 3. This is, again, God speaking about the need to encourage. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give ways. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs And the haunts where jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow." This is a verse that speaks about the role of encourager. This is also speaking about what Jesus will do. But understand something, God has called you in this role. You have a role to play in the church. When you see brothers and sisters who are down, who are hurting, you need to step up. I wanna emphasize this to you. This is one of the great lessons that comes out of David. As great a man as David was, as great a man as David was, and and someone reminded me this morning that in the Bible, uh, after Jesus' name, David's name is mentioned the second most amount of times in the entire scripture. How do you like that? Second most number of times in scripture, David. And so here he is, the greatest king that Israel, that Israel will ever have, uh, a, a mortal king, uh, because Jesus obviously will eventually become king over all of Israel. But here he is, and yet you see he's down, he's despairing, he's suffering because he's like us. You're going through this. I know many of you are are down. I know. I I know what so many of you are suffering. You don't even articulate it, but I want you to know something. God sees it. And so our role here is to lift each other up. Lift each other up. Pray for each other. Raise each other up. I want you also to turn to Acts 23. Acts 23, verse 11. And here it is. Paul now is in chains. He's in chains. You got it? It's the guy that's going to become the, the greatest evangelist in the history of the world, who will write two-thirds of the New Testament. But now he's been put in chains. He's been taken before the Sanhedrin. And now God, the Lord, appears to him and says the following. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. How do you like that? And the only way he would get to Rome was he would have an all-expense trip paid for by Caesar as he would go in chains, be in chains for about the next two years. And he would finally make his way to Rome. And you would say, well, God, I don't understand this, God. You want me to speak in Rome? And yet I'm going through this because it's within the will of God. Who knows how many thousands of people were touched by this man as he sojourned that way. Uh, and, and you see it in, in so many ways. So this is an important thing for you to understand how, how God works uh, and how God, God speaks to us in terms of encouragement. I want you also now uh, to turn To Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Giving your Bible a workout today. All right? That's what you should do with a Bible study. Philippians chapter 1. Again, Paul. Verse 14. Because of my chains. Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly because of my chains. What does it mean? It means that even during times of suffering and persecution, when you think things are down and low, God still wants you to be an encourager. The very existence that you're going through, the very suffering that you're going through that you can lift up Lift up and praise God. I'm telling you, some of the greatest sermons I've had in my life have been when I've walked into hotel, into uh, uh, hospital rooms of people that are terminal and their face is full of joy and they will say how much they love God and you see it fully and it speaks to me. It's like God is saying, You see John, you see the power of the Holy Spirit, what it means, and you're touched. And you're encouraged. You can't manufacture that. You can't make that up. This is God doing this uh, in such a, a powerful way that, it, it, that it's so important for you to understand that. And this final example that I have of encouragement uh, is an, an incredible feat. Turn to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27. This is all on the issue of encouragement, the role that God has given us. All right, and I'm going to set this up for you. Acts 27, Paul is sailing for Rome. I want you to think he's on a cruise ship. He's on a prison ship. He's in chains. There's 278 people on this boat. He's headed for Rome, where most likely he's going to be executed. He'll be put on trial, but it's, it's not a happy voyage. And so he's, he's on this boat, and now dark times come. Uh, a tremendous storm is going to hit. And I want you to see what Paul says uh, to the the other people on the boat, all right? And there's 270-something of these people. Look at verse 21. As you see the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, making Paul an encourager. Verse 21. After the men had gone a long time without food, and that's because the the ship was just knocked around from hither to post, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should... You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. How do you like that? You're in the middle of a storm. It's not a peaceful placid lake. The waves are all over the place. People can't eat. They're holding on for their bare lives. And he stands up and says, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. My God has spoken to me. Not one life will be lost. Yes, this ship will go down. This ship will be lost. But not one soul will be lost. What a powerful statement of, of encouragement. Look, look also, as, as we, we read this, look at verse uh, 33, same chapter. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, said this he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of him. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged, underline it. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of them on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Now turn to verse 42. Now the ship the ship runs aground. There's 276 uh, people on the ship, many of them prisoners. Verse 42. The soldiers, that's the Roman soldiers, planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Amen? What a great story it is. And so you see the spirit of encouragement. You see how it percolates in the darkest of times. Things are bad. Things are not going well. And yet God inspires Paul to tell them, fear not, fear not. God will raise you up. God will protect you. God will be with you. Uh, And so uh, you see this come home. And so as we finish chapter 23, as we finish this study, you see in chapter 23, Saul now coming after David coming after David out in the the desert of Ziph, going after him, uh, seeking to destroy him, and yet what will God do at the last minute when Saul is about to close the the loop around David? God allows a Philistine invasion. And so Saul has to leave David and go out and defend the country, uh, all within the hand of God. Uh, And it's and it's so powerful when you see this. And so God is faithful. He is there with us. He will not allow us to be hurt within his perfect will. He knows what his plan is for his life. His plan for David is that David will be the anointed king of Israel. Uh, And so there it is. uh, And you see this in verse 27 in chapter 23 a messenger came to saul this is first uh, samuel chapter 23 verse 27 a messenger came to saul saying come quickly the philistines are raiding the land then saul broke off his pursuit of david and went to meet the philistines that is why they call this place selah hemlocketh and david went up from there and lived in the strongholds of en Gedi. so what an incredible passage this is as you see the the spirit of encouragement and God ultimately intervening to save David's life. And so now we're going to begin uh, chapter 24. Uh, and this is a, a chapter in which we will focus on how we are to respond in our spiritual lives when we have been mistreated, when we have been wronged, when the natural inclination of our humanity would be to seek revenge, to make it right the way we would make it right. And you see that God has an entirely different paradigm uh, and, and why this is so important. So I want, you, I want you to read, if you would, here with me, chapter 24, verse 1. And Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines. He was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So ta- Saul took 3,000 chosen men. Now remember, David has three hundred. 3,000 are against him from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. I like the way the Bible phrases this. It's just such an elegant way of saying it, isn't it? The guy's a human being. He went in to relieve himself. And and so David and his men were far back in the cave. Now let's understand how how this looks. David and his men are far back in this dark cave, all right? Saul is in the, towards the entrance of the cave. Uh, And theologians believe that not only did he go in to relieve himself, he probably went in to take a nap. Uh, uh, Because it was cool, they're in a desert. And so you think about it, you come from tremendous brightness and you walk into a bright, uh, dark room, you know what it's like. You can't see. Your eyes see it. Meanwhile, they're back in the dark cave, and they see him perfectly. He is illuminated perfectly. Uh, And so this is unbelievable. I cannot believe what God has done. He has delivered your mortal enemy into your hand. Wow. I've been waiting for this opportunity. And so... David and his men were far back in the cave. Verse 4, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now let's understand something. What I want to point out to you is how sometimes your so-called friends, and I'll say even potentially church friends, give you advice as to how you should live your life in certain important measures. Look, this is God's will. He's provided this opportunity. Go and kill him. Kill him. And yet David says no. David says no. Because David still respects the office of the king. Even though Saul is a despicable human being and has not done honor to God, David looks at him still as the former anointed king of Israel. And so David will not give in to what those around him tell you. And that says volumes to me, that that you're there at a time like that. And think about it also, what it means in terms of the leadership of David. Because frankly, I would probably be thinking this way, oh, these guys are with me. If I don't do this, they're gonna think I'm a weasel. I'm weak. I'll lose their support. They won't want to be with me. They'll think I'm afraid. Come on. Haven't you ever been in a situation like that, that you, you take a position of restraint, or you know restraint is, is appropriate, and other people say, God, no, destroy them. Go ahead and destroy them." And you see how God says, no, God. This, the, whole, the whole message of this chapter is, revenge is God's role. All right? Revenge is not our role. If you have been wrong, God will make it right. Really, I want to assure you of this. I want to assure you of this. Um, and, and, I want, and I want you to know this, God will make it right. Uh, and, and you don't have to do it. I, I mean, I've experienced this in my own life. There were times where, where people said some horribly hateful things to me, even in a church environment. And my natural inclination, because of my ability to speak, was to take my tongue and cut them to smithereens. All right? And I could. But the Holy Spirit restrained me. All right? The Holy Spirit restrained me. Even while it was going on, I didn't even understand why I was restrained like that. But I felt that in the church context, I could not say to these people what I really wanted to say because the damage would be incredible it would go far and beyond amongst the the people that were there. And God recognized it. And God ultimately honored me with his will in my life. And so you understand this. You see this. And so this revenge is not for us. And so think about all the reasons David had to kill this guy. And yet here he is right in front of him. So what does David do? He goes up to him and he takes a part of his robe. That's significant because the robe was the seal of, of the right to be king. And so he takes off a piece of the cloth uh, from Saul, a piece of effectively of his kingship. Verse 5 Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut a corner of the robe. My God, do you love this guy? He was conscious stricken. Not because he didn't kill him. He was conscience stricken because he cut off a corner of the robe. Meaning, Lord, forgive me. I didn't mean to put disgrace on your kingship. I didn't mean to blaspheme the king, Lord. Please forgive me. Oh my gosh, Lord, help us to have a mind like this man. Help us to have a heart of this man that you are so convicted when you act that the Holy Spirit comes back and and reinforces it into your life. All right, so you see that, and you see that as, he, as, as God makes it so clear. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did, did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went his way. Now, I want to speak to you now about this issue of exacting revenge as it relates to us as Christians. How does God want us to act when we are mistreated? And so you see this here that we've told you that that David will ultimately be pursued by Saul for about 15 years. Uh, And so David was hated, he was despised, he was persecuted, but not for anything that he did. And this is important. He was a righteous man. Sometimes we're persecuted rightfully for things that we have done that are not appropriate. This is a separate instance. This is persecution and suffering for innocence, for doing the work of God. Uh, And I want to focus on that as we we, uh, bring this lesson home on this issue of acting out in revenge. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. This is right in the heart of the beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5 verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad because I'm being persecuted What kind of religion is this? What kind of faith is this? What kind of God is this? Oh, that's the point, folks. This is not like any God of humanity. This is not like anything the world understands. What God is saying to you is this, that when you are serving God, people are going to hate you. When you are walking in the way, people are going to repudiate you. Uh, They will be envious of you. And God is preparing you for the fact that you will be persecuted because you're living the kind of life that God wants you to live. And when that happens, when that comes your way, you ought to know that you take joy and rejoice in the fact that God is lifting you up and he is honoring you. What a, what a powerful set of, of verses this is. Look also at 1 Peter, please. 1 Peter, gospel of, uh, the letter of Peter, epistle of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Oh, my Lord, what a powerful set of verses. All right, rejoice. It's meant for us to suffer. God understands that. And you see it in the life of David that God is using suffering and persecution to perfect him. And that's going to happen in your life. All right, that's going to happen in your life. But the point of this is to, to rejoice and to understand what God is doing, doing this. I want you also now to say, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, just turn a few more pages towards the front of the Bible from where you are. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 12. We'll start with verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, in Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Underline that, all right? When you hear people on television tell you they want you to have a big house, a fancy car, be affluent, it's all great. Well, I don't know, it's not in my Bible. I have to get that Bible because it seems like that's a, a nicer Bible, all right? And how to work out for the first 11 guys. How to work out for those guys, all right? The good affluent lifestyle, You know the answer to that. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while even men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Come on, can you testify to that? Are you living in a street where you know that you're trying to serve God and you're going through difficult times, and you look down the block and there's a neighbor who's a pagan, a blasphemer, and this guy looks like he's got more blessings going on in his life. Everything that guy's touching is turning to gold and you're having a hard time. And you're down about it. You know what I mean? You're arguing with God. You're arguing with God. You notice that you never saw David do this? You see these giants? You never saw Paul do this? You see this? They recognized that the creator of the universe was in charge of our lives. Where would you rather have the blessing? Here or over there? I know where I'd want it. Where would you rather have to, have to suffer, here or on the other side? You don't even have to answer that as you understand the, 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 the answer to these is so obvious. And you see it, you see it. Uh, and and, and this, this verse is so, so profound to me uh, as, we, as we read this. Uh, and, and it says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. What a, what a great passage this is. Uh, and let me continue to to uh, find this verse that I wanted to give you, verse twelve. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while even men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Wow. Verse 16, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That is a critical point to, to bring to your attention. Everything that we read in this Bible is God breathed can I get an amen Amen. God breathed and so as I said to somebody today it's like God has inspired me when I do when I teach like this you'll never hear me go uh, I'm going to teach you on this subject and I'm going to give you eight points of this five points to this three lessons for this Because whenever you see people go five points, six points, nine points, and they don't bring it in from the scripture, here's where those points come from. You got it? Coming from my head. Coming from my ego. I don't care if you're the smartest man in the world. You can't give people spiritual advice from God unless you give it from the Bible. It's that simple. Unless it comes from the Bible. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we focus uh, on what we focus. I want to finish up with John chapter 15, verse 20. Gospel of John. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. And so I want to assure you of this that God sees you, he knows your persecution, he knows your suffering, he knows what you're going through, he knows when you're going through hard times, and you're going to be reviled, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to suffer, and yet here's the thing, that when you are persecuted or suffered for the name of Jesus Christ, God will lift you up. You do not have to reveal revenge, you do not have to serve a penalty on those who do this to you. You will pray for them. That's right. I said you will pray for them. Because if you don't pray for them, what you're going to be doing is eating rat poison in order to kill them. That's right. That's what you'll be doing. And your Christian life is going to go downhill. You will not lead a triumphant Christian life. You will not be able to impact the kingdom of God. You will do none of that because all you are is stuck in the muck and mire of your suffering and anger and bitterness, and you will not be serving God. Instead, we want to be like David, who when he came and had the opportunity to kill Saul, walked away and put him in God's hand. We'll stop now and continue next week with Samuel chapter 24. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much, Father, for the words that you've given us, for the inspiration today, Lord, as we've studied the role of the encourager and of the right of Christian men not to seek revenge. Lord, I ask you that these lessons resonate in our heart, especially this week as we think about what it means to be a man of God, what our role is in your work, Father. Bless our men, protect them this week, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you all.